0: We have a mindset in this country right now that motherhood is kind of a step down. There's few things actually in God's economy that are more precious than God's plan for a woman being a mother, plain and simple. Motherhood has been, I guess, so downplayed and, and women have traded in what God meant for them to be the highest calling they can have for some kind of cheap substitute. The devil has really hoodwinked women across America. Mothers are special. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn back to the Old Testament book of First Kings and the third chapter, where I've been uh, actually reading as of late. As I go through the Bible in a year, this is about the area where I'm at. I'd like to talk today about a mother's mind. A mother's mind. And I speak of her, um, the intuition that, that God has given to her. I, I speak of the way she has been wired by her Creator, the heart of a mother. We find a lot of mothers in the Bible and you see the mother's mind illustrated in, in their lives. Like Hagar, who was a Gentile, no less, an Egyptian woman, but still when it came to uh, seeing her son, Ishmael, potentially die, she couldn't even watch. And we see Jochebed, the mother of Moses, who could not let her, her son perish and, and in hope she put him in the basket in the bulrush. That's a mother's heart. We see a mother's heart in Rizpah, who kept the vultures off her sons who were hung. We see a mother's heart in the Shunammite woman, who uh, who lost her son in death and begged the prophet Elisha to bring him back to life. We see a mother's heart in the woman at Canaan, uh, that woman who had a demon-possessed daughter and begged the Savior to, to cast out the devils. And here in 1 Kings chapter 3, we find another illustration of a mother's heart. It's a familiar story. I think you'll be on board immediately as we begin reading in verse number 16. It says, Then came there two women, which were harlots unto the king, that is Solomon, and stood before him. And one woman said, Oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine made slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living." And the king, that is Solomon, said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. Solomon recognized a fundamental truth about a mother's heart or a mother's mind here, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we ask You, dear Lord, to bless this time in Your Word as we look at this wonderful, heartwarming subject of motherhood. And I do pray that Thou wouldst, in love and in grace, minister and deal with each and every mom and dad, Any child here as well. And Father, help us now as a a New Testament church to, to take heed to the truths taught from Thy Word about this subject. We pray and ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was reading recently about a mother's dictionary. And to a mother, I guess the words or the expressions mean a little bit differently than they would to the average person. For example, drooling. That's how teething babies wash their chins. (laughs) Have you noticed that? How about dumbwaiter? Well, that's one who asks if the kids would care to order dessert. Duh. How about feedback? That's the inevitable result when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. Whoosh, you get it back. How about full name? That's what you call your child when you're mad at him. How many mothers do that? Let's just be honest, okay? Every mom does. It's, It's just wired in them. How about prepared childbirth? That's a contradiction in terms. Um, Puddle. That's a small body of water that draws other small boys wearing dry shoes into it. And finally, whoops. Well, that's an exclamation that translates roughly into get a sponge. Amen. Furthermore, you know you're a mother or you've turned into a mother when you automatically double knot everything you tie. Secondly, you find yourself humming the wiggle song as you do the dishes. Thirdly, you hear a baby cry in the grocery store, and you start to gently sway back and forth, back and forth, however your children are at school. Uh, fourthly, you actually start to like the smell of strained carrots mixed with applesauce. <laughs> Fifthly, you weep through the scene in Dumbo when his mom is taken away, not to mention what Bambi does to you. And then finally, you're out for a nice romantic meal with your husband, enjoying some real adult conversation, when suddenly you realize that you've reached over and started to cut up his steak. You know you're a mother at such times because that's a mother's mind. Somebody said at the average dinner table in the evening, if the pie is served and there's five people and only four pieces of pie, you'll recognize the mother. She'll say, I don't care for any pie. I actually don't like pie. That's a mother's mind. Here in our text, we find the mind of a mother, and it's so obvious. You know this story. Two women have these two boys, and and one of them dies there during the night, and they both come to Solomon claiming the living child is theirs. And Solomon, in his wisdom, says, well, let's just cut it in half. And, of course, that means that baby's going to die. And the mother, whose heart really uh, goes out to her, her child, says, no, let her take it. She'd give it up before she'd let it die. The other one, with no heart for the child whatsoever, says, No, let's divide it. Now, would a real mother say that? Never. It was so obvious. He haw she gave herself away and, and everybody caught her in her lie. And Solomon knew who the real mother was. That's a mother's mind. Let's talk about it. When it comes to motherhood, we see what I call, first of all, the, the vulnerable temptation. The vulnerable temptation... Every mother here is vulnerable to a certain mindset, tempted to cave in. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It took place in a third grade class amongst a bunch of third grade students. And the teacher stood up and she said, Connie, what do you want to be when you grow up? Connie said, I want to be a private investigator, a, a PI. And the teacher said, that's commendable, Connie. Susie, what do you want to be? Susie said, I want to be a cop. I want to be a policeman. And the teacher said, Good for you, Susie. Julie, what do you want to be? And Julie said, I want to be a soldier. I want to be in the army when I grow up. And teacher said, That's wonderful, Julie. And then she turned to Hannah and said, Hannah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Hannah just innocently said, I want to be a mommy. And the teacher smiled nervously and cleared her throat and kind of looked down. What's wrong with this picture? Am I lying? We have a mindset in this country right now that motherhood is kind of a step down. And uh, there's few things actually in God's economy that are more precious than God's plan for a woman being a mother, plain and simple. You know, motherhood has been, I guess, so downplayed, and, and, and women have traded in what God meant for them to be the highest calling they can have for some kind of cheap substitute. The devil has really hoodwinked women across America. Somebody said this and said it so well, I just want to quote it if you'd read it behind me. Only a woman can carry in her body an eternal being which bears the very image of God. Only she is the recipient of the miracle of life. Only a woman can conceive and nurture this life using her own flesh and blood, and then deliver a living soul into the world. God has bestowed upon her alone a genuine miracle, the creation of life, and the fusing of an eternal soul with mortal flesh. This fact alone establishes the glory of motherhood. Despite the most creative plans of humanists, scientists, and lawmakers to redefine the sexes and the family, No man will ever conceive and give birth to a child. The fruitful womb is a holy gift given by God to women alone. This is one reason why the office of wife and mother is the highest calling to which a woman can aspire. This is the reason why nations that fear the Lord esteem and protect mothers. They glory in the distinctions between men and women and attempt to build cultures in which motherhood is honored and protected. But this birthright would be exchanged during the last century for a mess of pottage. Perhaps the greatest legacy of the past, that is the 20th century, has been the war on motherhood and biblical uh, patriarchy. Feminists, Marxists, and liberal theologians have made it their aim to target the institution of the family and divest it from its biblical structure and priorities. The results are a radical decline in marriage and a healthy birth rate, rising divorce and abortion rates, fatherless families, couples living together, and social confusion. Family life in America is dissipating to the point of extinction. Incredibly, the biggest story of the 20th century never made headline news. Somehow we missed it. It was the mass exodus of women from the home and the consequent decline of motherhood. And for the first time in recorded history of the West, more mothers left their home than stayed in them. By leaving the home, the experience and reality of childhood, family life, and femininity were fundamentally redefined. And the results have been so bad that if this one trend is not reversed, our grandchildren may live in a world where both the true culture of the Christian family and the historic definition of marriage are the stuff of fairy tales. Many isms have influenced these trends, evolution, evolution feminism, and even Marxism. Less than 100 years ago, the architects of the atheistic, communistic Soviet state anticipated the death of the Christian family. They explained the need for destroying the Christian family with its emphasis on motherhood and replacing it with a vision for a, quote, new family, unquote. Lenin spread his propaganda, saying, Housework is the most unproductive, the most barbarous work a woman can do. It is exceptionally petty and does not include anything that would in any way promote the development of the woman. The building of socialism will begin only when we have achieved the complete equality of women, and when we undertake the new work together with women who have been emancipated from that petty, unproductive work. We are setting up model institutions that will emancipate women from housework. These institutions that liberate women from their position as household slaves are springing up where it is in any way possible, our task is to make politics available to every working woman. But when women are reduced to soldiers, sexual objects, and social competitors, it is not merely the woman who lose the identity given to them by the Creator, but the men as well. And this is why the attack on motherhood has produced a nation of socially and spiritually impotent men who have little capacity to lead let alone love women as God intended man to love woman, as mothers, wives, sisters, and daughters. Isn't that powerful? I thought that was so good. It really sums it up so succinctly. And, and ladies, you're gonna, you're gonna be vulnerable to be sucked in and caught up and, and believe the trash that's being promoted out, out there about womanhood. There's this vulnerable temptation. And, and it started back then, but in time, America's conscience was seared toward motherhood. We have a different mindset in this country right now toward womanhood. The home is downplayed, and the corporate world is is built up, and modern feminism has quote-unquote enlightened the modern woman, supposedly. And men have relinquished their God-given responsibility and their role given to them biblically from God's Word to lead and and been brainwashed to thinking they're just supposed to dope around. And and honestly, it's it's a bill of goods that we've been sold, that we have bought into, ma'am, There's a vulnerable temptation for you to believe everything society, everything culture is pushing upon you. Don't fall for it. When it comes to motherhood and the mind of a mother, there's first of all that vulnerable temptation. But secondly, there's that victorious temperament. Look in Matthew chapter 23 if you would. There is a victorious temperament or a mindset or countenance or way of thinking that women can have if they really understand what God wants them to be. Now here in Matthew 23, Christ is talking about a lot of things as He makes His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And we could read it all, but I just want to hone in on one verse, and that is verse number 37. Matthew 23, 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even... "...as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not." You know, Jesus Christ would often use illustrations of the known to help explain the unknown. And sometimes He would use a sheep, or He would use a coin, or He would use a a door. Uh, He would make an illustration somehow. He would talk about being born again, and He would talk about the physical birth, and He would compare it to the spiritual birth. Uh, the Bible does that a lot. It, it, it mentions a dog returning to its vomit. You go, yeah, that's nasty. But it's really a picture of somebody delivered from sin returning to it once again. Well, here in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus Christ is using the illustration of a mother hen. A mother hen to show us there's, there's a caring, compassionate, full of pity and a kindness and a comfort that, that God has put right within creation. And he has also placed that within the heart of a mother. He mentions the mother hen. A mother hen, of course, uh, has wings, and the Bible says a lot about those wings. In fact, I was amazed as I studied this, how many verses there are in the Bible that speak of getting under a wing. Let me just give you two of them. Psalm 17, verse 8. The psalmist says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. This is a mother hen is talking about. And God's using a comparison here to the mother hen. Here's another one in Psalm 63, 7. The psalmist says, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. This wing here speaks of protection. This wing here speaks of safety. And it's really a a good illustration of a mother's mother hen heart. One that is compassionate. One that is caring. One that pities. One that is thoughtful. One that that is kind. One that comforts. A, A good mom is like that hen. We find that's her victorious temperament. Now, how is a mother similar to a mother hen? Well, let me give you a few ways. First of all, a good mother hen knows where her chicks are and what they're doing. Did you know that? A mother hen in the farmyard will keep an eye on her little brood. Now, society's kids have kind of run wild. They go where they want, when they want, they do what they want, with who they want, and, and, and kids need a mother hen to watch over them. I think that's what Christ is implying with the mother hen. There are so many landmines out there. There there is such a need for protection for children nowadays. Associations can corrupt your kids. The Bible even says that. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So so mother hens need to watch who their kids hang out with. And and a bad friend can really pull a a, a child down. We we find in the Old Testament a man by the name a young man by the name of Amnon who is fighting off an evil lust and trying to do right. But he has this evil friend by the name of Jonadab. And Jonadab encourages him to do something wicked, and it costs Amnon his life. You know, in Proverbs one ten, the wise man says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Let me stop here and say to the young people here, if a sinner entices thee to do wrong, don't consent to it. Side with your parents. Do what God wants you to do. And uh, mom, regulate who your kids hang out with. They don't have the sense to know who they ought to hang out with. I'm not knocking the kids here trying to, to, to make you sound dumb. But you don't see through hypocrisy the way your parents see through hypocrisy. How many of you remember Leave it to Beaver? And how many of you remember Eddie Haskell? And what a two-faced hypocrite he was. And he'd always schmoozy up, you know, June and war. No, you look wonderful today, Mrs. Cleaver, and so on. Thank you, Eddie. And you could just see them rolling their eyes because they knew it. They, they could see through them. That's something parents can do. The average child perhaps doesn't see that. So mother hands are on guard with who their children associate with, uh, where they are, what they're doing. They're on guard with what they watch what they listen to, uh, what they read. Keep the, the junk away from them. Keep the teen magazines, the worldly stuff away, uh, the television. Uh, guard that and, and know what they're watching, the music, where they are, the video games they're playing. Uh, honestly, the last thing to develop within a child is their ability to reason. And again, we're not trying to make you sound like a, a as dumb as a box of rocks, kids, but that's true. You may grow up and develop in every other way, but that ability to reason is the last thing to develop. And so kids, don't resent it when, when your parents are trying to help you. You ought to appreciate that. It, it says they love you. If they didn't care, they'd let you run wild. But a parent who really cares and a parent who really loves their children is going to stay on top of this stuff. A mother hen is ready to fight for her chicks. Did you know that? Uh, if you watch these things in the barnyard, uh, that mother hen, if, if someone's picking on her little brood or her chicks, she goes to bat for them. She'll actually fight for them. That's something God has placed within them, within nature. A mother hen also is ready to administer discipline. You ever seen a mother hen peck one of her little chicks on the head and uh, kind of straighten them out from, from, from whatever they're out of line and doing? Uh, a mother hen will, will administer discipline. A mother hen will teach her children to work. And uh, you've probably read the story of the little red hen. Remember that? And everybody else is goofing off and she's working and she's working and she's working. Uh, that's the, the, the nature of a hen. A mother hen knows how to work and how to teach her, her chicks how to do their chores and how to have their responsibilities. You, you say, well, pastor, what if they don't cooperate? I, I, I just, I'll just do it myself. Well, you're really setting them back and that's not healthy for them. Actually, it's better to make them work even if they don't see the value in it. You say, well, what if they don't cooperate? Cut off their food. I'm serious. You say, oh, that's cruel and inhuman. No, it's biblical. Did you know what the Bible says? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, This we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And we always take that outside of the home. no. Bring it into the home. They get hungry enough, they'll make their bed. They'll clean their room. They'll help clean out the garage or the basement or whatever else it might be. I'm serious about it. If they won't work, neither should they eat. Don't you cultivate a welfare mentality in them. We have enough of that in our society. Teach them to work. Teach them to pull their weight. Our kids were taught to work. It starts... Really, with the simplest, keeping their room clean. And obviously, that doesn't come natural for the average person. And so you say, well, we just give up. We don't. We don't. It's all part of training them. You're trying to teach them to fly on their own one day. As a mother hen, that's a responsibility. You know, the Bible illustrates this back in Deuteronomy so well. Chapter 32 and verse 11 says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest... That means she makes it uncomfortable for the kids to still hang out there. Fluttereth over her young. She's saying, watch me here. Spreadeth abroad her wings and then taketh them and beareth them on her wings. What is all this talking about? It's talking about the day when they will fly on their own. And if us, as parents would look at that, that's coming. They will be out of the home in time. They'll be out of the home soon enough. And they need to know how to fly when that day comes. There was a couple of ladies... Talking at a family reunion and, and, uh, the one lady was admiring the children of the other lady who were so well behaved and they were, they were fellowshipping, they were, uh, smiling and laughing and having a good time and cooperating and being helpful and all that kind of stuff. And the, the other lady said, I would give my life to have children like that. And the mother of those kids turned to her and she said, that's exactly what it costs to have children like that. It's true. It will cost you your life. It's the price of motherhood. It takes time. It takes effort. By the way, uh, mother hens don't spend hours on Facebook, okay? That's not really helping the kids out. I just happen to know they don't. And uh, mother hens don't lament, Why do we have to have all these kids? And mother hens don't relinquish that responsibility off to somebody else. I don't want to do it. We have a fundamental duty to God to follow up after we've had children and raise them right. The price, that's the price of motherhood as a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say this also about motherhood. It requires vision. Mothers have to see the big picture. They're doing more than changing diapers and doing dishes and what correcting homework, whatever else it might be. It requires vision. You know what the Bible says about vision? In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. God helped mothers to get a vision, the big picture of of really the importance of what they're doing, so that they never have to ask this question, Does my life even really matter? Is what I'm doing even mattering here? Oh, it's mattering a great deal. The devil would just downplay that in your your sight and in your heart. Many years ago, actually, I think it uh, was in 1950, Peter Marsha, who was a chaplain for the U.S. Senate, stood before the Senate. Boy, I wish this would happen today. It was a long time ago, but this is what he said. He said to the Senate, the U.S. Senate, the modern challenge to motherhood is the eternal challenge. That of being a godly woman. The very phrase sounds strange in our ears. We never hear it now. We hear every other kind of woman, beautiful woman, smart women, sophisticated women, career women. Talented women, divorced women, but so seldom do we hear of a godly woman. I believe women come nearer fulfilling their God-given function in the home than anywhere else. It is a much nobler thing to be a good wife than to be Miss America. It is a greater achievement to establish a Christian home than it is to produce a second-rate novel filled with filth. It is a far, far better thing in the realm of morals to be old-fashioned and to be ultra-modern. The world has enough women who know how to hold their cocktails, who have lost all their illusions and their faith. The world has enough women who know how to be savvy and to be smart. The world has enough women who know how to be brilliant. It needs some who will be brave. The world has enough women who are popular. It needs more who are pure. We need women who would rather be morally right than socially correct. It's time to prioritize motherhood and home as the highest calling and domain of womanhood. May the Lord fill our churches with faithful mothers. Boy, I wish somebody would stand up and say that today, don't you? We've talked about the mother's mind, and we've seen that vulnerable temptation, but we've seen the victorious temperament. Thirdly and finally, let's talk about her valuable treatment. Her valuable treatment. Mother, mom, the very word speaks of somebody who who should receive valuable treatment. Look if you would back in Matthew chapter fifteen. There are a number of times in the Bible where it mentions honoring your mother. Uh, Exodus 20, for example. You don't get very far into the Bible to where it's mentioned, or Deuteronomy 5, or here it is, sandwiched right in the middle of, of the Ten Commandments. Of the hundred of commandments out there, God condenses these ten important ones, and right in the middle, He puts this one. Young people, honor your father and your mother. Now, in the New Testament, you get over here, and, and you find Jesus Christ reechoing it. Notice in Matthew 15 and in verse 4, he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Did that come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ? <laughs> it sure did. He that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. That's New Testament. That's Jesus Christ. Wow. This business of giving valuable treatment to your mother apparently is pretty important. Turn over to chapter 19, if you would. Here we have the rich young ruler running to the Lord and saying, you know, what should I do in order to get to heaven? Of course, Christ kind of is, is stringing him along to make a point. But he mentions the law here once again. And in verse number 19, notice what he says, Honor thy father and mother. Then you get over into the epistles and you find the Apostle Paul echoing it again. In Ephesians 6.2, Honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise. You say, what promise? The promise of long life. I believe the child who dishonors his or her parents is, is cutting their life short. It's that plain and simple. God tells us that. If, if you don't honor your mama, if you don't respect your mama, plain and simple, you're in trouble with God, young people. You're in trouble with God. Think of what she has done for you going back to the nine months of, of the pregnancy where she carried you. Only to be outdone and followed by, by these hours of intense labor to bring you into the world. Only to be uh, outdone by, by nurturing you along, changing your diapers, uh, cooling your fevered brow when you're sick, feeding you meal after meal after meal, and, uh, and helping you when you're suffering. I, I had uh, an older brother back when, when we were kids, and, and he suffered from migraines. I'll never forget that. It was just kind of a, a, a period of time he went through. And I'll never forget, it, there were four of us boys to one room. We had two bunk beds in there. And uh, he was over on the other bunk bed in the middle of the night. And he would just cry out in pain. And it was like in a split second, mom was there. How she got from the upstairs down to our room that fast, I'll never know. But uh, you'd hear those words, honey, I'm here. Honey, everything's okay. Uh, you'll be all right. And just, just comforting my, my brother. Young man or young lady, if you take that for granted... What your mother has done for you, I'm just going to say it, you are a fool. You are an industrial strength fool, not to mention a twerp. If you don't appreciate what your parents do for you, God help you. There needs to be a, a, a valuable treatment of her. You owe your very existence to her. Do you ever trash talk her? You know, the Bible says her children arise up and call her blessed. Proverbs 31, 28. Call her Blessed. Treat her right. Treat her right. You know, in our home, the Skeving home, when I was growing up, there were nine of us kids here, and, and Mom was a queen. Honestly, we, we honored Mom. We honored her in her life. We honored her in her death. I'll never forget the day she died. I uh, was sitting, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget where I was sitting at the house. It was early in the morning. My younger sister called, and she said, Mom passed on. And we were waiting for it. We were expecting it. But it's still kind of, ugh. Wow, the day has come. The day where you're somewhat orphaned at least by your mother and you feel alone in the world. I'll never forget that drive from, from town here about an hour and a half uh, out to the lake where, where uh, hospice had been taking care of her over the last few months there and, and, and walking in and, and I think all the kids were there by that point. I had the furthest to drive and, and, and there was my dear mother. She had passed on into in heaven, and, and uh, we wept around her. And, and, and then the, uh, the undertaker, the funeral director, came in, and, and they, they wrapped up the body, and, and uh, they put it on this stretcher. And he said, gentlemen, could I get your help? Well, there's six of us boys in our family. And we carried her out to the hearse. And he said, she carried you into this world. It's time for you to carry her out of this world. I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. Young person, your mother carried you into this world. You appreciate that. You owe her a lot. Look, if you would, in Second Timothy chapter 3. How are you treating your mother? You know, the Bible talks about the attitude that young people have in the last days, days in which I believe we're living in right now. In Second in Timothy chapter 3, it's sad. It describes it vividly. But in verse 1, Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. You know what's sad is that somewhat sums up this current generation. We have a different generation. It's so much different from when I was growing up. A generation that has been brainwashed... By society, a generation that thinks it's cool to be devious, because that's what they've been taught through modern day television. It's cool to be ungrateful, it's cool to be lippy and sassy and independent and to have an attitude. The Disney Channel has has placed children on an equal basis with, with parents. If you watch that drivel, and I don't, I see it when I'm in a motel and I go, this is garbage but the kids are devious and deceitful and and on the same level as as mom and dad. Where did you get that? Not from God's Word. Maybe Hollywood. But it's a joke. Our Creator doesn't think it's so cool. And young person, you'll answer to Him. If you give your mother anything but valuable treatment, you will answer to God. So it might be decision-making time. It might be apologizing time. It might be humbling time. It might be time to show due respect To your parents, to your mother, give her valuable treatment. Now let's back up. Ma'am, you've heard it said many times from this pulpit, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. So don't fall for that vulnerable temptation stuff of the world telling you you're you're second class if you don't don't go out there and do something else other than raising your children. That's garbage. You have an incredible influence and the hand that rocks the cradle rules Rules the world. A country, yea, the world will never rise above its mothers. Never rise above its mothers. It's so important that you understand what you're doing is important. So there's that vulnerable temptation. Secondly, there is that victorious temperament. There were uh, three uh, bricklayers, three masons who were working on a, on a church building. And somebody walked up to him and said, what are you doing? And the first guy said, well, I'm laying bricks. He went to the second guy and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm building a wall. Went to the third guy and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm raising a great house of God for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they're all doing the same thing, but look at how one looked at it. They went to three mothers in the same way. and They said, well, what do you do all the time? Well, the first mother said, I I change diapers, I, I cook meals, I clean the house. The second mother said, well, I... I'm raising kids. What do you think? The third mother said, I'm shaping the next generation to serve the Lord. That's why what you're doing is so important. May I admonish you to see the big picture today. May I admonish you to pray for your children. May I admonish you to get wisdom from God's Word. May I admonish you to avoid the time traps, the internet, the television. Uh, invest your time, your treasure, in your talent, in your children. Pay the price. It is worth the effort. It's spelled W-O-R-K. There are no shortcuts. A lot of women want out of it. Uh, don't try and farm out that responsibility. Don't try and relinquish that responsibility. You only have so much time to fulfill that responsibility, and there's no substitute for you. May I admonish you also to be consistent and, and apply preaching to yourself personally. I mean, yes, be a good mom, but strive to be a good Christian. A good Christian first and foremost. Somebody said if you're going to be a good mom, you need to be a good daughter first. That is a, a daughter of God, accountable to the Heavenly Father. Now, no question about it, there's, there's insurmountable challenges out there. There's never been a more difficult day in this country, I think, than to raise children than there is now. But, but seek to excel in your relationship with the Lord. Spend time with God every day. Um... Remember this, you're an example continually to your children. In fact, I jotted this down recently, so goes the mother, so goes the child. If mother doesn't get and take counsel, neither will the child. If mother doesn't obey God, neither will the child. If mother doesn't come to church, neither will the child. If mother doesn't read the Bible, neither will the child. If mother doesn't pray, neither will the child. If mother doesn't love the Lord above all, neither will the child. We've talked about that vulnerable temptation. We've talked about that victorious temperament. And let's for a moment again touch on that valuable treatment. Young people, you treat mom like a queen. Mothers are special. Mothers are special in the Bible. The mind of a mother is illustrated all over the Bible. I, I mentioned Hagar and Jochebed and Rizpah and the, the Shunammite woman and, and the Canaanite woman. And there's so many more. Even the, the, the mother of the, of the baby there, the harlot mother, still had a heart for her child. Well, the mother's mind is all but gone, obviously, in the society in which we're living in. But God's women need to have that mind. Honestly, you couldn't pay a mother what she's worth. In, in this day and age, a godly mother is worth her weight in gold. Now, for this time, God's given the responsibility to this generation because the Jacobeds and the Hagar's and, and all those gals are gone. May God help you, if you're a mother here, to fulfill this role by God's grace and to have that mother's mind. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.